What's up, everyone? This is Chris Weidman. On today's MMA on SiriusXM podcast, I'm joined by Laura Sanko to break down all the action we saw at UFC 282 and take a deep dive into the scoring criteria after some seriously controversial decisions in both the main and co-main events. Take a listen. Laura Sanko! What's up, Chris? What's up? What's I love up, the Laura? I love the uh, I love the brutal honesty part of that intro. That could not be more accurate based on the way and show. My goodness. Oh, I'm very honest. Very honest. And by the way, speaking of the way in show, I want to I just want to congratulate you one more time on turning big four zero. <laughs> That's amazing. How does it feel to, you know, to have a have a birthday and turn 40 years old? You know what? I knew you were gonna bring that up and you'll probably bring it up more than once. I'm used to it now. No, it's been it's been fun. It's been a, it's been a good birthday week. Uh, I'm currently at the Las Vegas airport, which is essentially my home away from home. So very fitting setting for us to have a chat. Yes, I love you. You look great for 40 years old, by the way. Your body's not hurting too bad or anything. Not like any arthritis building up or anything like that. No, I've had some neck issues and some knee issues, but nothing, nothing too, too crazy. All right. So back in July of 2022, you announced on this channel, Fight Nation, on Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith, that you got licensed as a judge in the yep. state of Missouri. Not a referee, but a judge. Yes. So yes. what, took, what is yeah. your thoughts? This weekend was kind of crazy. UFC 282, the co-main event, main event. Let's yeah. start with let's start with the co-main event with Patty Pimblett and Jared Gordon. Scoring wise, there's a lot of people going back and forth on thinking that there was that was a huge robbery, one of the biggest robberies of all time. What is your thoughts on the judging of that of that card? So one thing I definitely learned from from doing all the coursework that I did and and you know part of the test is that you score a lot of rounds that are that are designed to have very specific challenges within them um that being said i need to go back and i need to watch rounds two and three specifically to see if there's a case for patty but i'll be perfectly honest with you in the moment knowing what i know about the judging criteria i do feel like jared won and the round that really stuck out to me is the most the one that i would not understand giving to patty at all would be round one because i felt like in particular those left hooks from jared I mean, when damage is the number one criteria and immediate and impactful damage is more important than accumulated damage, to me, that round one is pretty clear cut. That being said, I have not rewatched the fight and I certainly yeah. have not rewatched the fight with, you know, a judge's eye. But just being honest with you in the moment, I was I was surprised it was fatty for sure. And I think on the judges scorecards after they've been they were revealed, it I think there was two judges that had round one for Patty, right? Yes, Which that was that was the part that was that was the most interesting and confusing to me. And I definitely plan on I've had a lot of people uh, message me and ask me about it because of what you said. Um, and I, I, I plan on doing a, a video about it for my YouTube page because you kind of have to go back and like, you know, this watching a fight as a fan is so different than watching a fight as even a commentator or an analyst. And then it's very different watching it as a judge. So it's really impossible for me to kind of answer with specificity until i've gone back and watched it through that lens specifically yeah i gotta watch it again too and i'm with you on that i watching it the first time through i thought 100 percent jared won i thought he landed better shots on the feet i thought the control time meant for something so in that third round dana white said in the post-fight speech in his post-fight uh, pre uh press conference that he felt like jared kind of threw away the fight in the third round by not really bringing the fight to him as much and there was a lot of holding on the cage and stuff Yep. Based on like the judge's criteria, if a fighter brings another fighter to the cage and he's kind of looking for takedowns coming back up and then, you know, some mm -hmm. punches going back down, looking for takedowns back up, 
does that control time mean anything? And is there anything that the guy on the cage has to do to like earn points at that point? So control time falls under the purview of the tertiary criteria. So the, the primary criteria has to be completely equal and exhausted. So like basically as a judge, you have to look at that round and say, I can see zero difference between the grappling of fighter A and the grappling of fighter B. And I can see zero difference between the striking of fighter A and the striking of fighter B. Only when you see literally no advantage on either side, do you, re do you move to the secondary criteria, which is aggressiveness. It's not until the aggressiveness is perfectly equal that you then go to the tertiary criteria, which is fighting area control, which is what control within a grappling setting is, is considered. That's the tricky part. So like grapplers, I wouldn't say that they're at a disadvantage, but the, the scoring criteria was designed to improve the chances of having fights and finishes. So to a degree, it does reward the more active fighter in sense of damage. So for instance, if, and again, I have to go back and watch, but I remember what you're talking about. When Jared was holding Patty against the cage, simply holding there does, does not score him any points at all. On the flip side of that, if he brings him to the cage, that's aggressiveness that gets him to the cage, some type of octagon control brings him to the cage. Can Patty Pimba just stay there without trying to get off the cage? Like if he was working really hard to get off the cage and uh -huh. he can't do it and then it ends up being boring because Jared just kept him on the cage. Yeah. Like I could understand that, but if he's just letting him be on the cage, letting himself stay on the cage. He's not, there's no like getting on the hooks and circling off. Yeah. Does that mean it's anything? A neutral, it's a neutral position. It's just like, so for instance, you know, and, and you have to think of cage wrestling or fence wrestling as vertical grappling. It's basically the same thing. That's how the judges see it. So okay. for instance, when, when a fighter is in fighter A's and fighter B's guard, that's a completely neutral position. It does not matter who's on top whatsoever. Oh. What matters is who is striking and who is doing damage and who is advancing position. You do get small, you like, you, you get a little bit of credit for advancing possession position. You definitely get credit for landing knees, landing elbows, dirty boxing, all that type of stuff. That's what's most important in those clinch situations and those, you know, what I call <laughs> vertical grappling uh, in this context. So, yeah. you know, if, if Patty was landing knees um, from having his back on the cage, which I, again, I haven't gone back and remembered, it is possible that the judges scored the damage that Patty was doing, even though his back was against the cage, as more important than the effort that Jared had to make to to keep Patty on the cage. Because if Jared wasn't Jared wasn't landing little hooks or knees, and Patty was landing more, then they're going to give those sequences to Patty. Wow! Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Won't Back Down Radio. This is Chris Weidman, and I'm talking to Laura Sanko right now. So I feel like this is this is all kind of new news, even to me, like how this, how the judging is really work works. Yeah. Because for me, I always felt like octagon control was a big thing. Like if, if you get a guy who's pushing the other guy back, he brings him to the cage, he's looking for takedowns. The other guy's back is on the cage. Okay. That guy's winning the fight. Unless the other guy is able to turn it, get his back to the center of the cage and then, you know, get back to standing or look for a takedown of his own. That's gone now is what you're saying. That changed in 2018. And when the rules were sort of re readjusted and, and it's funny cause I'm with you. So I came up in the era you know, I was fighting 2009 to 2013 and I can remember, you know, and obviously I don't have nearly as many fights as you do, but I even, I remember the, you know, but oh, you're badass. Let's just put it out there. I don't think you get enough. <laughs> well, I, you, don't, you don't get enough credit uh, that you deserve with the fighting as well. Like you were, you were a very decorated fighter, but it was almost like the little too quick, too much too soon because women's fighting didn't progress yeah. at the time that you needed to. Right. Like, yeah. And being, yeah. And being an atom weight, there just, there still is really no right. future in it because and there's no atom weight division small. in the UFC. Yeah. I'm just too small. So um, I guess the point is like in that era when I was coming up, I can remember, you know, time after time again, 
we'd be in the gym and whoever was coaching the session, you know, we'd be doing our shadow boxing and then they'd yell, win the round. And we all know what that meant. Like shadow box a shot or, or shadow box a crawl. Like it was so ingrained in the culture of how we were instructed to view MMA, but none of us, and maybe I'm wrong about you. I didn't take the time to read the criteria. No, I thought it was being explained to me as I was learning to do MMA and just sort of taking it up as I went. I'm learning a more now of, from you yeah. than I've ever learned about <laughs> judging. So this is awesome even having you on because I mean, I fought since 2018, but I never knew yes. this actually existed. This is crazy. Yeah, it is. And you know what else is crazy, Chris? They don't count, they don't count all takedowns the same. And takedowns really, uh, by and large, are not that meaningful, especially and especially it doesn't matter at the end of the round. Like, it doesn't matter. A takedown is a change of position, is not an offensive maneuver unless, and, and this is where it gets complicated. So there is a, there's a phrase called diminishment of spirit. So in the case of Seymour Abdullah-Shmili, when you are someone who is spamming takedowns and the damage that you're doing is the damage of draining your opponent's gas tank and diminishing their spirit, then those takedowns do become its own form of offense. But, you know, really striking a grappling offense is by far, and I mean like by far the most important. When I say that the fighting area control, which is, who has the center, who's on the back foot, right? It's who's being pushed to the gauge, the page, who isn't. That, those thoughts literally matter almost never. And I mean like almost, almost, almost never. We're talking only in the case of like Rose Namajunas, Carlos Barza, would you ever get to that criteria? That's crazy. Oh. How about yeah. this? What if, what if, you, what if a Marab's going for takedowns and the other, and the guy's defending? Is that uh -huh. considered his diminished spirit? Like is he, is is the other guy scoring points by stopping the takedowns or is that considered just no, neutral? no one's there's zero zero defense is scored in in mma not a single iota it's of course important to continue the fight like you have to do it which is which is, goes back to why you know when i call fights i do talk about things like defense we all do you know we do talk about uh he's got to get a takedown now it's but that when we're when we're talking about that i think it's confusing for the viewer, because we're talking strategy. We're talking about what's going to be important to get this fighter either to the next round or get him into a position where he can finish the fight. The judges don't give a shit about that. They're not, they're not looking for that. If, so if Marab was spamming these takedowns and you could see the fighter, his opponent just exhausted and like he's trying and maybe defends well, but like you, like you could see, you can physically see the diminishment of his spirit, then that becomes definitely an offensive sequence mm. for Marab Wallace, really. Gotcha. But the guy defending gets no credit whatsoever there's no defense scored under the unified rules which is interesting because it's different if you fight in russia or other places that don't use the unified rules well it's also this is a good counterpoint in jared gordon's favor because a lot of the criticism was that and the reason why people thought patty might have won is that he stopped takedowns he stopped a lot of takedowns and they felt like that was giving patty uh you know points basically and that's maybe one of the reasons why he won now if but he stopped it and landed a it knee it doesn't matter yeah, okay, if he stopped gotcha. it and landed a knee, or if he stopped it and landed an elbow, or you know that knee, even if the knee wasn't that big of a deal, that knee is a way bigger deal, and he gets no credit for digging under hooks or down blocking or anything like that. Wow, this is great stuff. I appreciate it, Laura. Uh, <laughs> of course. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Billy Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, 
Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Moving on, let's let's talk about the uh, main event. So you had Anka yeah. Live versus Bohovic. Another little bummer of a thing. I, in my personal opinion, I thought it was a, it was actually a closer fight than I think everybody felt like yeah. because we have a tendency of looking at the fourth and fifth round, and that's what we remember as the fight mm-hmm. you know gets finished. And then obviously Anka Live won those rounds, so we thought he won. Kind of got pushed into feeling that way. But before I talk too much, like what was your thoughts on that fight? I know you only watched it once so far. What was your thoughts yeah. on that and how it ended up? Yeah, again, that caveat that I haven't rewatched it, but I will say that um, I felt round three was squarely for Jan, and I felt I felt like, you know, four and five were squarely for Ankaliyev, and I actually would have probably given Ankaliyev a 10-8 in round five. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, the result... And why is draw, that? Why, why would you have given 10-8 okay. in that fifth round? So there, there are three criteria for a 10-8 round. Damage, duration, and dominance. And if you have two of the three... You have to at least, they call it, open the door, like consider giving a 10-8 round. And then it really does become a subjective thing. And that's the other thing I think about judging that is really, it's annoying for me, even as a judge and as I was going through this, I wanted there to be perfectly black and white answers to everything. But as you know, there is an infinite number of possibilities and sequences. And the fact is that, you know, the judges are meant to live in a world of subjectivity. That's why they're there. They are judging and offering their personal uh, background and experience as a judge to give their opinion on the fight. So it's really not like there are many instances where, for instance, you know, you, you could score around one way and you won't get, and, and maybe two other people scored the other way. That guy's not necessarily going to get in trouble unless it's egregious because yeah. there are many rounds where it's okay to have a, a difference of opinion. But back, back to your question, um, the, the dominance duration and damage and if by duration, is, do we mean like control on the ground? Does that count as time uh, over just, on the ground? Yeah, yeah, but again, not control. The the duration has to do with how long the dominance and damage was occurring. Oh, okay. So if if a guy like let's just imagine a crazy scenario where a guy literally just lays on another guy and neither of do them do anything. Okay. Literally no strike is thrown, no submission attempts. No advances of position. These are just two guys laying on each other, which would be super awkward. Let's talk and quick about question. That. Sorry to cut you off. But <laughs> yeah. Let's say the takedown, he shoots for a takedown and it's a hard fought takedown and he eventually gets them down if the guy was sprung like crazy. Now they're on the ground. Does that, yeah. does the takedown mean anything at that point or still? The takedown means, yes, the takedown means a little bit. Only little because bit. it was a hard fight fought one or because. It's a takedown. So now we're now we're gonna do it down another rabbit hole. Now we're gonna okay. do it down another rabbit hole. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's good. Yeah. It, this was why I, I went and did what I did because I had all the same questions that you do, and it was driving me crazy. So different takedowns are scored differently. If the tele, if the takedown has elevation, and this is an annoying phrase, but impactful impact. So that's important. For I don't know. Fight, that's important for wrestlers and all fighters to really know. Like if you're gonna do yes. a takedown, make sure it looks good. Which is crazy because, like in my mind. I think the more efficient takedown is the better takedown. Absolutely. The less energy you can use, the better. If you can use a body lock trip and just sort of like, you know, dra- drag them down and you've already got that smothering position as you hit the ground. And you know, as well as I know, Chris, a lot of times when you get elevated and dumped hard, you bounce right off the canvas and that takedown meant for shit anyway. I bet Michael Chandler right? in the last fight, fifth round, oh, it was a fifth round or third round, I forget, where he dumps him up in there. He didn't need to. And then yeah. all of a sudden he created this crazy scramble and yeah. the back is taken. You know. Yeah, but but in terms of the criteria, if there's elevation and impactful impact, so the if you probably don't remember this, but I did a video on the uh, Sean O'Malley Piotr Jan fight, and 
the reason why they gave the first round to Sean is because even though Piotr had that big takedown and he did get the elevation, when Sean posted um, on his way back down, there was not impactful impact. So that was just considered a regular takedown. It's, it's, there's, so much, there's so much nuance wow. that the fighters wow. don't know, the coaches don't know, and a lot of the commentators are still learning. They, they made us take a class, but I'm the only one that went and like got licensed as a judge because it was just driving me crazy. And there's a lot of these really, uh, yeah, just nuanced situations that are, are different than what you would think as a fan. Because when they read out the criteria at the beginning of every fight, they don't explain that, oh, by the way, only this first one really matters. Like, they just read them, you know? Yeah. It's not explained. So, uh, as far as the weight went down, like a draw, you didn't have a big problem with the, the draw. You kind of no. saw that. It was a very close fight. Obviously, it sucks. Nobody gets the belt. Terrible yeah. situation. Now, as far as the way it ended up working out, like who's like the fact that Uncle Ivan and Blahovich are now not fighting for the title. Now you got Crazy. two completely different guys fighting for the title. And what about Anthony Smith? And and then Anthony Smith, which we'll be going to a clip later of when he found out and reacted to it, which it was kind of crazy. You got to feel bad for him. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, the UFC's got to make fights. And um, yeah. at the end of the day, they got to make quick decisions and they got to book cards. And uh, some guys are going to be upset. And that's pretty much yeah. what happened with that. Um, so what was your thoughts on all that? Like, what, did it, was it shocking to you? Did you think they were going to do a Blahovich and Akhlaev rematch and just wait a couple you know, months? Or did you, did you kind of expect something to happen? Um, you know, I, I certainly thought a, a rematch would be on the table, given how close the fight was. And uh, given how much, uh, how many people see Akhlaev as the future of this division, I think, you know, man, what a game plan by Jan. And remember in the, in the, in the, when he came on the weigh-in show and he said the thing about, like, basically made it seem like he had a very specific uh, weakness yeah. that he had identified yeah, yeah, yeah. in Ankalaev. I yep. mean, yeah. he did. And man, I mean, he almost got him out of there. I felt like, I mean, maybe not out of there, but it was, it was oh, looking it was, really shaky ground. Both of his legs. He took out, he, he got yes. him from going from Southport to Orthodox and he went from Orthodox to Southport because both legs were gone. And credit to Ankalaev for finding a way to fight and figure it out 100%. in the fourth and the fifth round to use his wrestling. Yeah. It really shows to me, and uh, we'll just stay on this for a little bit. But it's really showed to me, Ankalaev is very well-rounded of a fighter. Like, he could yeah. pick you apart from the outside. He could be a very intelligent fighter. He's got great footwork. But on the flip side, worst-case scenario, you take out his legs, he could take you down and control you and ground and pound you, and he does it in a very smart way. It's not like he's, a, he's aggressive and he's not, you know, he's not trying to push them out too fast or look for submissions. But he's going to yeah. control you, and he's going to have he has some great ground and pound. What I was super impressed with as well is because when you watch tape on Ankalaev, typically he's very careful, very calculated, really takes his time, really takes his shots well. And so a lot of times those fighters that fight that way aren't comfortable and sometimes aren't even capable of really putting their foot on the gas if they need to. And I was impressed with, I guess it was probably round four, when he came out and just really got in Jan's face and with the striking and immediately looking for the takedown. But that pressure, that level of urgency, that level of volume from Uncle Live is not something really, we've really seen before. And that was another, as you say, wrinkle to his game that just shows how well-rounded of a guy he is. Agreed. Agreed. It was almost a blessing in disguise for him to get comfortable in those type of situations where like now he's going to be comfortable knowing he could take guys down like Blahovich. And he doesn't always have to just rely on the, you know, the speed and the, and the movement on the outside. Um, another question for you. So obviously you're big on the Dana White Contender Series show. You had your boy, Raul uh, Rosas Jr., the youngest fighter ever at debut. Yes. What, was that, what was that like being in the arena for that, to see him come out victorious 
it was it was so cool man it was so cool so like when i was when i was doing my homework for contender series you know sometimes there's guys that uh get put in that position where i'll be honest you're like i don't know if he's ready <laughs> um chase hooper was one of those if i'm being honest Wh- which one as well is chase hooper was one of those at the time less yeah. so now but yeah, you know yeah. that was when i was like man this might be too soon when i watched raul rosas jr fight how, how old watched- was him how old was uh chase when he came in do you remember I think he was 19. 19. He was really young too. Yeah. Yeah. He was super young. I think he was 19. on And he looked years. younger than Raul. Like he looked yeah. like a really young, you know, 19. Yeah. Raul's got a, Raul's got like a frame on him for yes. sure. I don't think he'll stay in this weight class forever, but like he's got, he's got some shoulders on him for sure. Yeah. But when I watched him on contender series, what I was impressed with, they matched him up with a real guy. Like the guy he was fighting, I don't want to say was uh seven and one or eight and one, 25 years old. Um, a really good, a really good jujitsu specialist. So played right into Rojas's supposed strengths. So the UFC was testing him on the contender series. They were not handing him a free contract by any stretch of the imagination. And I was so impressed with what he did in that fight. 12 minutes of control time. And then to go out there and just prove to people that like he really does belong. Now I think he's got to be calculated about the steps that he takes because he doesn't want to I mean, he's got how much time does he have to have a great you know, a lot, career? A long time. <laughs> so much. Look at Edmund so Shabazian. I mean, the guy, the kid's only yeah. 25 years old. He's been through so much already. You know, yeah. maybe it was a little bit too much too soon for him, but like he's still only 25. Raul's on a, even a different level as far as age and, you know, how, how long this is going to go. Like, it's, it's a tough thing for the UFC yeah. for a guy like that because he seems like he's almost ready for some tough guys, but also he's so young, so you can't rush it. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna need to take their time with them for sure. But I think you know one thing that we didn't talk about a lot, we didn't get time to talk about the contender series or on the Wayne show. He had his first MMA fight at age eight. Now I'm sure it was you know headgear, puffy gloves, shin guards. But regardless, like mixing his martial arts since he was a kid, so that's why you see him with this skill set that you know I watched him like how the hell are you doing this he's 10 years into his MMA he's 10 years into his MMA career I mean that's what most guys kind of have so he's almost on level because he's super young exactly and I asked him I asked him in the post-fight interview I was was like were you joking about the minivan thing he's like no he's like my mom needs a minivan because she needs to drive me to the PI and I was like can you not drive he goes no I don't know how to drive yet like I just haven't had time to learn how to drive oh my god I love that kid (laughs) That's amazing. And I love that Dana White hooked him up. I know he's got his, he got 50 K to get that minivan. Right. So that's so cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Good for him. Good for his family. Um, Laura, thank you so, so much for joining us. I know you're in the airport. You're super busy flying around in your private jet everywhere. So thank you for uh, (laughs) my private Southwest jet. Like, come on now. Let's be real. You guys, why don't you give them a tour of your private jet right now? Let's see it. Right, right. Well, there's, we got this seat. We got my luggage. Well, that's high, le- that's high level leather right there. That's nice. Yeah. MMA on Sirius XM is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Plus, catch Won't Back Down Radio, Unlocking the Cage, and MMA Today on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156 and on the SXM app. SiriusXM Podcasts.